0: Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. I hope your Christmas went so well. I had a beautiful Christmas with my family. I hope you did as well. Today, we've got a very special report. This is adapted from a TV special I did last week with our good friends at Heritage Foundation. They have put together Project 2025, an effort to recruit Americans who are willing to go into government for the next president, whether it's President Trump or whoever the Republican president is, or whoever the next president is, to take hold of these jobs that are appointment jobs and to start to change the nature of government, to rein in the deep state, and the bureaucracy, and the administrative state. Some very powerful conversations. I hope you enjoy the next hour. This is adapted from our TV show. It's a very, very important conversation. I think you'll enjoy the next hour. Have a good day. God bless you guys.
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy
2: place.
0: Good evening America and welcome to this Just the News Real America's Voice special report. I'm your host John Solomon tonight in partnership a partnership with our sponsor, the Heritage Foundation. We are going to explore a new initiative called Project 2025. Its goal is to find patriotic Americans willing to enter government and to fix government from top to bottom. Over the last decade, we have witnessed that elections alone can't solve the federal government's many problems or force policy changes. Changing federal agencies from within through their policies and their people is an essential and often missing ingredient. And over the last several months, Heritage has been assembling the ideas, the people, and the solutions that can empower America's next president to be successful starting right after he or she is sworn in on January 20th, 2025. That's just right around the corner. The Heritage Foundation is uniquely positioned for this mission thanks to its longstanding mandate for leadership, which has been highly influential for presidential administrations going all the way back to the Ronald Reagan era and continuing through Donald Trump's first term, where he embraced two-thirds of the policy ideas Heritage device for his administration and our great country. Now, Project 2025 launched several months ago um, to rally a broader coalition of conservative organizations to come together to build upon four pillars. Here they are. A policy agenda, personnel, training, and a 180-day playbook. That's right. That's how you get started, the first 180 days. Throughout this hour, uh, this project is taking, and we're going to teach you how this project is taking shape and how you yourself can get involved and be a change agent. Now, that effort begins with voting in the 2024 election, which, by the way, starts in January. No matter if you vote early by mail or in person on Election Day, this specific project relies upon you and your civic duty in order for it to be enacted and to start changing your life in the country for the better. Now, with that said, we have the perfect first guest tonight. Almost three years ago, Derek Morgan was named Executive Vice President of the Heritage Foundation. And we know why. Under his and President Dr. Rob- Kevin Roberts' leadership, the foundation has gone on to achieve historic successes, which include the beginning of this inaugural program, that Americans now know by its nickname, Project 2025. Derek, your organization a force to be reckoned with, and we're really excited to have
3: you here today. Thanks for helping us have this conversation. Thank you, John. I'm excited to talk about Project 2025.
0: It really is an amazing project. And uh, the way you're pulling together various aspects of the conservative movement, getting ideas from all corners and putting them into a playbook. How did this project get born?
3: this was really a concept that Kevin Roberts brought with him. Uh, It in part was inspired by the 1980 mandate for leadership. Heritage was a smaller entity then and brought together conservatives from across Washington, D.C. to build a plan to implement the Reagan revolution. And so we thought we would go back to the future and assemble uh, conservative groups to join Heritage in this effort. And we were phenomenally successful, thanks to Dr. Roberts and uh, all of our allies. We're at over 80 groups now that have all decided they're gonna pitch in. Uh, We tried to get everybody, and we largely successfully did, get everybody on the same page policy-wise. Encourage all of those 80 groups and people like your viewers to sign up to volunteer to serve in the next administration at project2025.org. And then we're putting the resources together to train folks so they know uh, what to do on day one. You know, personnel really is policy. And then, like you said, we'll also have that 180-day playbook ready to go for whoever the next conservative president of the United States is.
0: Yeah, that's pretty exciting. And, you know, one of the interesting things is I don't think a lot of people think about transitions until like the November after the election. You guys get this going in April of 2023. That's a very early start. Uh, it gives you a lot more runway to do big things. And if you're trying to compress it in a 90 day window before a president uh, takes office, tell us a little bit about what that extra runway gives you time to do.
3: Yeah, that's a a great point. It is really important. You just don't have enough time after the election to put together the government. Uh, You have 90 days or so. You need much longer than that. And we need to give the next conservative president a running start. Let me give you two quick numbers. In his first year, uh, President Trump proposed last time in 2017, he proposed 22 major regulations or deregulations, and President Biden had 62. So it's about a three to one pace difference in that first year. And those first year regulatory moves are really critical because you can get it all the way through the regulatory process and even through the courts to affect real change. And so uh, we knew that we needed, like in a uh, baton handoff, we needed to have a running start for the next conservative president. And so that's why we decided let's back up the project. Heritage has always been about policy and ideas and people. Um, Even above politics, our role in the movement has always been to make sure uh, that Folks that campaign campaign as conservatives actually act as conservatives. And here, we wanna join together with 80 other groups to make sure that people have the playbook and can get the job done.
0: Yeah, it's such an exciting project. It's unlike anything I've seen in the 35 years I've been in Washington. It probably does come closest to what happened with Reagan, but this is even bigger and more ambitious, I think, than that project. Um, There are four pillars. Can you walk us through those pillars and why they are so important to ensuring a successful start to a presidency?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. So the first pillar was really the attempt to get everybody on the same page policy-wise. There will be a little differences here and there uh, with whoever the, the conservative nominee is, uh, but essentially we had uh, chapters in every agency of government, what the next president should be thinking about, how should they structure the departments, uh, how should they look to budget for them, uh, and kind of an overarching 30,000-foot policy view. That's uh, part one. That's already been published. That's available on the website as well. Uh, pillar two is about the personnel, and there we want people like your viewers to raise their hand and say, "I'll tithe to the Republic. I'll be willing to serve for a year or two or four or more." Uh, and in my private sector experience, my experience from outside the swamp, bring it here to Washington D.C. You know, nothing's going to change if it's the same people here all the time. Yeah. Uh, so we need new blood, uh, and we want you know your viewers to sign up as well. And then the third part is to train that group. So we'll have online academies and uh, in-person trainings to make sure that folks that have been recruited from all over the country are trained up, they know the pitfalls, they'll hear from administration officials in the past, things that uh, trip them up perhaps, what they're gonna face on day one with an entrenched uh, bureaucracy that runs our modern administrative state. They'll, they'll see all of that, they'll be ready to go day one. And then the fourth part is to have that playbook ready. And again, we're uh, developing all of these with uh, in mind for the next conservative president to, to look at the work, to recognize that these 80 something groups, have done a lot of the work for him or her and adopted as their own proposals uh, should they be elected by the people.
0: Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And I think one of the big lessons of the Trump administration is the role that people in the bureaucracy can play in stopping the success of a president. Even if you have the ideas, even if you get things passed by Congress, we learned the hard way in the Trump years that little hands come out of bureaucratic offices, they grab an issue, they grab something, they tie it up, and they keep a president from succeeding even when he has the reign of power. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about the people power part of this, because you guys are building a mass army. How many people would you like to see assembled, ready to step into government on day one of the next
3: presidency? We'd like to have at least 20,000 people in our database. Uh, It sounds like a lot, it is in one sense. Uh, The next presidents can have somewhere between eight to 10,000, maybe a little bit more appointments. Uh, even under the current rules, and uh, we re- want them to have, you know, their choice of the best and brightest from across the country. But think about it: you got 2.2 million federal employees and less than 10,000 political appointees. So it's really, really important that you have the right plans in place and the leadership in order to turn that giant ship of state toward where the president wants to go. And that's important because the president is the only one who's elected by the people. The president and the vice president are the only ones elected by the people. People who are in the government are supposed to be civil servants and are supposed to be uh, doing uh, what the president uh, directs them because he's the one that's accountable to the people. And so a lot of these plans that we're developing are to ensure that uh, agencies aren't following their own playbook, but rather are following the playbook as supported by the people. And so uh, making sure you have folks who are trained up and who have that same constitutional vision for government are available and ready to serve on day one is we think a really good service to the country.
0: Yeah, no, and it's unlike anything that's happened before any other presidency. That's what makes this so unique. And uh, and the synergy, the energy, you can feel that people all around town are talking about what you're doing. Um, the training part is really essential because there are a million regulations and a zillion enforces of those regulations. And so you oftentimes bureaucrats who want to trip up an administration, they'll pull out some inane uh, requirement. You guys are really helping people understand the yeses and the nos and the what's to do so that they can move around that resistance, right?
3: That's exactly right. So we'll have camps available for general counsels, for uh, personnel managers in each department as well, as well as every employee to understand uh, what their rights are as government employees, how you can uh, work in the system to replace ineffective uh, personnel. There's a, a huge problem with that. We'd like to see, we have some reforms in mind for that as well. Uh, the bottom line is that the federal government needs to be accountable to the people it needs to use our resources effectively and it needs to uh, act constitutionally and in accord with the with the president's direction for the uh, for the branch And when every branch is doing its job, when the executive is simply doing the administrative and executive part of the job, and the legislative is allowed to do its part of the job, and the judiciary is uh, confined to its role, then those three branches of government can check each other and make sure that we have a constitutional republic far into the future. Uh, But in order to understand that, you have to be trained not just in the philosophy, but also in the procedures, as you point out. And we have some of the very best in the conservative movement who have agreed to uh, to participate in these training seminars and videos. And we're really excited to share that with all the people who sign up at project2025.org.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be exciting. And I'm going to get into how people can actually get enlisted, enrolled now and get started early. Uh, before we turn to that, though, uh, obviously one of the mandates that the policy ideas uh, put forth is it's time to shrink government. Government's gotten so big, it's intrusive. It's also unaffordable. Our credit cards are maxed when it comes to the federal government. Uh, the unique uh, opportunity that people who join this effort will have to not only make the government better, but potentially make it smaller so that more tax dollars can go back to the people. That's a big thing. It hasn't happened in the last quarter century. Uh, how big is that? And what are the, some of the trainings that can help? Uh, a new entrant to govern, make sure that they can shrink while they succeed.
3: Yeah, it's kind of two prong. First is to get the right, get the policy right. So there, the the president typically will enter into office, and and pretty soon thereafter have to put forward his vision for a budget. Uh, in the case of uh, our country right now, you're going to have several uh, fiscal cliffs, as we often do yeah. nowadays. The pres- it's going to hit the pre- next president very quickly. Uh, so working out that 180-day plan and how to sequence that is going to be really, really important. And then the other part is the management part. Uh, you know, the it's very well known that the way the government tends to work is, oh, we were allotted this much money, and I better spend it all so that I get the same amount or more next year. And we've just got to we can't afford that if we ever could uh, in a time where we have multi-trillion-dollar deficits, in a time where we have racked up more debt just over a couple of years of COVID than we did for the rest of the history of the country up to that point. Uh, we are not in a position to be able to continue business as usual. So uh, here at Heritage and across the movement, we've been looking for ways to save in every department of government, including the defense department. Uh, And so we would uh, advocate taking a hard look at the defense budget, looking at uh, the research and development budget, which continues to grow very, very fast, even as procurement uh, is behind. So we really can leave uh, no stone unturned. Every single uh, government agency needs to do its part. And in fact, in our uh, first pillar playbook, Uh, We want to close several uh, government departments as well. So uh, should the American people elect uh, strong conservatives to office, we think you could certainly get rid of uh, many agencies of government, starting with the education department.
0: Yeah. Smaller, more effective, more competent. That'll be something that American people will greatly embrace. Um, One last question. There are a lot of presidential candidates already talking about this. Obviously, President Trump uh, is the leader leader right now in the early polling, but he has a long history of embracing Heritage's ideas in his first term. But across the spectrum, it seems like no matter who the candidate is, a lot of people are already embracing ideas. Talk a little bit about the synergy on the campaign trail.
3: Yeah, we've been really uh, heartened by the response we've had. We've briefed uh, almost all of the major campaigns at this point. Uh, we've offered briefings to everybody running for president. You know, We would love to see converts. We would love to see uh, folks on both sides of the aisle embrace the ideas in our playbook and in this project. Uh, and right now we have really good relationships with all the campaigns. We are neutral for lots of reasons, legal, ethical, and strategically. We just wanna be available and to do the hard work. And we hope the work will speak for itself for whoever is uh, nominated and ultimately elected as the next conservative as yeah. president of the United States.
0: Like a good farmer, that early spade work often yields a great crop, and that's what you guys are really building out there. Before we go, Derek, really quickly, uh, what's the best way, someone got inspired to said I'm gonna join this, I wanna make government smaller, better, smarter. How do they engage you guys?
3: Yeah, if you wanna volunteer in particular, go to project2025.org, there's lots of additional information there. Our policy book, that pillar one book that we just talked about, John, that's available for free there. Uh, if you want to order it, it looks a lot like a phone book, if you know what that is. <laughs> it's uh, over 900 pages, uh, like I said, over 30 <laughs> chapters, every agency of that. government. And we're just getting started. Yeah, so Please join us at uh, project2025.org. That's such
0: an important thing. And it would be amazing thing if the project... 2029 book was half the size because you guys succeeded at shrinking government, which I think is what you're Amen. up to. Amen. That would be something amazing, <laughs> Derek. We're so yeah, proud yeah. of what the Heritage Foundation has done and continues to do, and this is such an important project. I've seen nothing like this in the 35 years I've been covering Washington D.C. You and President Kevin Roberts have a lot to be proud of and a lot of impact ahead. Folks, go. Everyone, go to Project2025.org. It's a, a must thing. It's a great civic idea. You'll make a difference by getting involved. You can't sit on the sidelines and complain. So get in there, go do that today. Derek, thanks for your time. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll have more discussion right after these messages. Welcome back, America. As you heard in the last segment, the Heritage Foundation's Presidential Transition Project burst right out of the gate, working on a plan to help the next president dismantle the administrative state and put the power back into the hands of the American people. Our next guest, he's doing the exact same thing in the United States Senate. He has been an important force there in trying to tackle uh, the issues that make our government so big and unresponsive to the American public. He is Republican Senator Mike Lee from one of my favorite states, the great state of Utah. Senator, great to have you on the show today. Thank you, John. Good to be with you. You have done a lot of work, and you've studied a lot trying to figure out how we wrestle this big government to the ground. Uh, What are some of the most important ideas that you have for shrinking government, making it more responsive, and get rid of that fourth branch of government that our founding fathers never intended?
4: Yeah, you know, in the United States, we cherish a government with three branches, but we've somehow allowed a fourth unaccountable, Uh, extra constitutional branch to sneak into the picture. And it's time for conservatives to dismantle the administrative bureaucracy and to return power to the American people, to make sure that the laws are written only by men and women of our own choosing. Look, Article 1, Section 1 and Article 1, Section 7 of the Constitution already require it. Uh, What we need to do is to get more elections won with more candidates who are willing to understand the transfer of power that's taken place and who are willing
0: to restore that balance of power. Sir, you've done a lot of thinking about this in your books, and your speeches, on the floor of the Senate. What are some of the biggest reforms needed in our federal bureaucracy right now?
4: Look, winning elections isn't enough anymore. What we have to do is elect more people who are willing to go in and recognize that under Article 1, Section 1 and Article 1, Section 7, our laws have to be written by men and women of our own choosing. The the most significant reform, uh, the most potent reform, an impactful reform I can think of on that end, uh, consists of the RAINS Act, regulations from the executive in need of scrutiny. We uh, enacted the RAINS Act, all major rules having a significant economic impact on the American economy uh, would have to be affirmatively enacted into law by Congress. They, They wouldn't take effect automatically simply because some federal bureaucrat made it so. Uh, This would make a huge difference uh, for restoring separation of powers in our system of government. And the reason that matters is it puts the American people back in charge of their own system of government, as it
0: always should be. Yeah, that's such important. It's such a common sense piece of legislation that would make such a big difference in, on the day of functioning of government. Uh, the Heritage Foundation has done something unique, getting a really running start to the next presidency with uh, Project 2025. Uh, how important is it that one of the things that the Heritage Foundation is doing is trying to get everyday Americans to enlist and say, you know what, I'll step into government. I want to bring a different type of person into government with a different mindset that makes it responsive to the American people. That would be a big change if we brought some fresh blood in, right? It would be huge.
4: And that's why leaders like Paul and Spencer uh, Heritage are doing yeoman's work in getting us ready to hit the ground running so that it's not just about winning the election. It's about what happens the day after we win the election so that we're ready to go and we're ready to make a difference. We're ready to restore a constitutionally limited government, which has never been more sorely needed than it is right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. One of the places that you've played a big role shepherding uh, judicial nominees and Supreme Court justices, the courts have played a big role in the last couple of years, blowing the whistle on an administrative state that tries to create law and usurp the power of Congress. How important is it, you know, uh, rulings like West Virginia versus EPA and others, where the courts have been unequivocally clear that the administrative state can't make up its own laws? Yeah, the
4: the uh, uh, Supreme Court rulings in this area have been important. West Virginia versus EPA was a uh, landmark decision. It was important. Um, in, in that case, the Supreme Court decided uh, under the uh, major rules, under the major questions doctrine, that this particular major rule uh, uh, couldn't have been authorized by Congress. It went too far. Uh, I would love to see that be the first of many rulings culminating in the Supreme Court reinvigorating the non-delegation principle, which is uh, what Article 1, Section 1 and Article 1, Section 7 already require, which is that anytime you have a a new rule of law, generally applicable law uh, that that impacts life, liberty, and property for the American public, uh, that should have to be made by elected legislators, by uh, lawmakers in the House and in the Senate. Look, it was with good reason that the founding fathers entrusted the lawmaking power, which is the most dangerous of the three powers of government, executive, legislative, and judicial, they entrusted it only to the branch of government most accountable to the people at the most regular intervals. We've been disregarding that. We've got to change it. The court has been helpful in this. I hope it goes even further in restoring constitutionally limited government.
0: Yeah, that's so important. So, why, there's a chart we're going to show up here on the screen. Democrats have just been faster at staffing up their administrations and getting their people into the jobs that then can harness the bureaucracy with like minded uh, uh, leaders. How important is it for the next Republican president to get out of the gate, get a team in place quickly so that the Sand Clock and uh, the changes are lined up very quickly?
4: It's essential. Uh, so, a few things have to happen. Number one, You've got to have a a president whose team, whose transition team is ready to populate uh, the administration very, very quickly. And then you also need a Senate that's uh, open, willing, ready and able to process uh, the the crucial nominees very, very quickly. Now, doing this is sometimes not easy and and it's going to require us uh, sometimes working long hours, staying through weekends uh, when necessary. And threatening to hold the session, uh, the Senate in continuous session until the job is done is otherwise the Democrats will figure out ways to dry out the process, to uh, slow it down and to create a de facto pocket veto. We can't let that happen.
0: Yeah, put a wrench in the fan belt like they've done so many times before, no doubt about it. Sir, uh, you have looked at the budget process, and I know you take it very seriously. Uh, How important is it to use the purse strings to begin to reshape the uh, bureaucracy and make it more responsive to the American people? The power of the purse is such a powerful thing. Uh, Do you think that the next Congress is ready to take the reins and use the budget process to rein in this bureaucracy?
4: I, it has not been doing this well at all, in part because of, of the failed leadership that has unfortunately permeated both ends of the Capitol and both political parties. Uh, this time around, uh, we, we have to do better, and I think that's going to require um, uh, some new thinking and some new leadership, uh, because in the past, what we've seen is that the uh, the top Republican and the top Democrat in both houses of Congress for many years have been comfortable With trillion dollar, in this year's case, two trillion dollar annual deficits. We can't do that anymore. Uh, We've got to have people who are committed to bringing the budget to balance. Uh, Otherwise, we won't be in control of our own government, our own economy, or our own
0: destiny. Yeah, and that just emboldens our enemies without a doubt. We've got about 45 seconds, so I just want to ask real quickly. As you look out, there seems to be some uh, people talking on the sidelines of Congress realizing that this next election and the two years that follow are perhaps the most consequential in a long time, maybe a century. Do you have a sense of urgency among some of your colleagues that the next election, the next couple of years after it are really the moment where we have to make these changes?
4: Yeah, it has to be now. Look, the reason it has to be now is that we're about to open a door, a door into a scary place, a door from which it's uh, uh, door to a place from which it's difficult to return. In other words, once your uh, that percentage of GDP uh, uh, ends up being so devoted to the funding of government and government debt, it's very, very hard to turn that around. I, I think we're um, We're crossing a threshold here, and that's why this election is so important. That's why we've got to be ready for the election and just as importantly uh, for the day after
0: the election. Yeah, well, I know your constituents in Utah know you are a champion of liberty, a champion of a smaller government, a champion of a government that's more responsive to its people. They're very lucky to have you. And we've been very lucky to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us, Senator. Really great uh, honor to have you on. Thank you, John. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll
2: be right back.
0: Welcome back, America, to this very special report sponsored by the Heritage Foundation. I'm your host, John Solomon. As you've heard at the top of the hour, the 2025 Presidential Transition Project isn't just a center for education, workforce development and enacting a policy agenda. It's the very tool that has the ability to rescue the country from what many call the administrative state. Yeah, the deep state. We've heard that term a lot. Paul Dan serves as the director of the 2025 Presidential Transition Project at the Heritage Foundation, and he has been working on the front lines To get people power, meaning new people to get into government, to bust their hold on this great country, the government's hold, the administrative's hold, the deep state's hold. Uh, It's a very exciting project that will almost certainly catapult the next president to great success after their inauguration. Paul, it's a great honor to have you here today. This is a very exciting initiative. A lot of people in Washington buzzing about it. John, it's great to be with you.
5: Uh, As you said, we're, we're really about returning this government to the people you know, it's, it's taking the power from Washington and putting it back where it should be, um, your viewers, your listeners, and everyone around them. This is uh, a long time coming. You know, we're going on our 250th birthday here as Americans, and uh, it's been a great experiment in self-governance, but the reality right now is we've kind of lost this republic in terms of being a government of the people. It's, it's a government of people here in Washington.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I bumped into a veteran not too long ago uh, at one of the events and he said, we used to be self-governing. Now we're suffocating governing. And I get exactly what he means that we just feel like we're under the weight of a very large central government. Um, You have been studying the bureaucracy, trying to find ways that we can shrink it, make it more responsive. But just its sheer size. Can you walk us through what this administrative state looks like from a cost and a people perspective? Sure. You know, the federal government probably spends,
5: you know, you could argue on order of half a trillion dollars in salaries and benefits and related expenses to its workforce uh, each year. Um, the workforce is essentially 2.2 million federal full time workers and uh, against a big penumbra of about 16 to 18 million contractors. Wow. So you have about 20 million people you know, of this huge organization that's ripping through $5 trillion, $6 trillion a year. Um, Of that 2.2 million, the federal workforce, a president who you have to remember is the commander in chief, he's the chief executive or she one day of of the government, you know, under article two, the executive power is vested in a president period. Uh, He typically appoints 4,000 people so you're talking about a president is able to put in one in five hundred people is a person on his team. Now yes. you come to Washington as a conservative, you're already swimming upstream. The people here in Washington, if you just take a you know a sampling uh, they vote ninety five percent Democrat in, in in most precincts here in d c and in the neighboring environs of Virginia and, and Maryland. If you look at the donations of the federal workforce towards political candidates on the order of 90%. So you're walking in to manage a building where nine out of 10 people don't agree with you philosophically. And the um, question is like, how does this permanent government, how does someone who's sent to Washington with a mandate get to put in place the agenda? And that's really the challenge. You know, For the Democrats on the flip side, and the progressives, they've rewired this government over yeah. the years. It's essentially built for them. Um, we talk about the deep state, but it's really an administrative state that's been in the offing for about 100 years now, starting with Woodrow Wilson and the notion that it shouldn't be a government of the people. He, he took a different path. He was a Ph.D. from Princeton. He said, no, this government should be run by elites. And it should be a government of experts. And, you know, the people should kind of stay out of it. So over the last 100 years, that's been built out uh, with FDR and then, you know, the Great Society. And now what we've seen with Obama and the kind of the apparatchiks really um, have burrowed into the government. So we have a very ossified permanent government force here in Washington that is not conservative by any means.
3: Yeah.
0: And a century of, of tilting it to the left uh, through uh, very presidency. I think a lot of people who are conservative or libertarian, they tend to be distrustful of government. So they may not volunteer to go in government. You're making the counter argument, which is you can't curse in the darkness if you don't turn a light on. You, you, you got to get in the game to win a football game. You can't sit on the sidelines and win. So this is an opportunity for everyday Americans to say, listen, I'm tired of watching the government win. I'm tired of the government suffocating my business or infringing my free speech or doing whatever thing. I can come in, be an appointee of the next president and make a difference in shrinking government to the way it was meant to be. That's the call to action here, right?
5: Exactly. You know, it's, it's not even an opportunity. This is the two-minute warning. We have to. It's incumbent on people who can to come forward. Um, you know, as conservatives, libertarians alike, we, we focus on... God, country, and family, and we've kind of left government to its side. We we wanted a small government. We and by necessity, we kind of stayed out of it. But you know, it's kind of the converse of that that what they tell you: a, a dentist ignore your teeth and they'll go away. Right. Well, if you ignore the federal government, it just gets bigger. And what what has happened is we left it alone, and it was stocked with essentially progressive um, apparatuses. And you know. Everyone here listening to this broadcast in 21st century America is the beneficiary of your families, your neighbors, Americans in the past two centuries. Toil, their sacrifice, some give the, you know, the final measure of devotion. Right. So, you know, we have been bequeathed this incredible country and maybe... You have served in the military or you served abroad or you know, served, you know, you contributed to this country. If you haven't, or you know, folks who can, this should be thought of in the same vein. It's we need Mr. Smith, Miss Smith, Mrs. Smith to come to Washington, and this thing isn't going to change until you kind of make the devotion to come here. It's not an easy path, it's not going to be great, and it's a it's a, you know, to be sure it's getting in the arena as, F, as uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, but our, our hope that project 2025 is to open up the door to Washington and bring in that mainstream common sense and, and tell you, this is how, how the government functions and more than that, how we expect you to function in government to, to get the agenda put in place. Yeah.
0: How to harness that electorate so that we can get something done that's for the good of the people. Um, You're not doing this. Just uh, let's get a whole bunch of names on the list and hand it to the next president. You're coming with training and all sorts of extraordinary tools so that people have a year to kind of get ready for the the mission at hand. That is unlike anything I've seen in my 35 years in Washington. Talk a little bit about uh, the training and the tools and the resources you're going to embed on anyone who signs up today or tomorrow or the next day to join this great idea.
5: Sure. You know, it, it kind of draws on my own personal experience. I'm an attorney by training, always kind of conservative, was in the Fed, Federalist Society, went to, you know, Virginia, University of Virginia for law school and MIT, but undergrad and, and grad school. But I, I, you know, fell out of politics and moved up to New York. And I was one of the people who would listen to a broadcast like yours and be like, know at the kitchen counter going this is crazy you know what can i do at some point it strikes you you got to go down and get in in the fight and i had a devil of a time really trying to figure out how to do this i you know supported president trump and as a new yorker it seemed amazing work that he had done and others to really revitalize the city but washington is its own landscape and uh what we're doing at Project 2025 is, is the first time ever the movement has come together. It's, you know, Heritage, uh, my employer here, we're going on our 50th year. We are kind of thought of as the mothership of the conservative uh, movement. But right. our president, Kevin Roberts, when he came aboard in 2021 said, what's at stake in 2024 is really pivotal for our republic. So we can't do this as a heritage thing. We have to do this movement wide. And to that end we've brought together 80 of our, of the most significant you know, conservative groups allied together to work as one in this preparation task. And what we're systematically doing is is laying out our principles in, in basically a four pillar plan uh, to make sure that we have person you know pa- personnel who's ready to go day one. Um, we, we constructed a, all this, by the way, is available at project 2025.org. And uh, we laid it out with a policy book where 400 people came together through this coalition and wrote last year, this time, uh, kind of a chapter by chapter prescriptive fix for right. federal agencies. It wasn't supposed to be definitive, but it was to put the to master plan together that when we win and we will, that we're gonna be ready to know which way we're aiming. Two, we're building a conservative LinkedIn, if you will, a major database that conservatives from all over the country can can create a profile, tell us about your skills, your interests, and and what you've done for the movement. And on the back end, we can kind of check you out and map you to potential positions in the federal government, tell you way in advance to get your ducks in a row so you can get here to Washington. Three, we're going to tell you while you're waiting how to do this job. We've created an online training university. Now we've crowdsourced almost 40 lessons that are available online for free. Jeez, that's amazing. And you can hear from the people who've done this, you know, you know basic, some of the rudimentary kind of um, work that you face in the government, but the mechanics of how it, how it happens, but also um, pointers about how to work with career officials, how to avoid traps, how to move your policy along. As well as you know, s- simple things like what what does the security clearance entail? How can I start moving my application forward? And you know how what is this hiring process? And then finally, you know we brought together almost a thousand people right now on a volunteer basis who are at work doing transition plans for agencies. Typically, that work would start in May or even September right. of election year and be on the candidate or the nominee. Himself to organize, but there's just too much to get done. So we've really started in earnest now, almost a year, building that out, going through, picking out the regulations that need to come down, the the guidance, looking at new personnel strategies, really reorganizational stuff for each agency. Right. So um, you know, at the end of the day, the president, like I said, controls about 4,000 slots out of 2.2 million. And we have to at least make sure that those 4,000 slots are ready, ready to go.
0: It's an amazing project. It's unlike anything I've seen in my entire career here in Washington and going all the way back to the late 80s. Uh, Paul Danz, you're on the forefront of a very historical movement. I think people will fully realize how historical it is come the 2025 time frame. But what a great honor to have you on and uh, to be engaged with Heritage on this incredible uh, journey. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, John. Folks, it is super easy to get involved, whether you want to enroll in the Heritage Foundation's Presidential Administration Academy or have your resume considered for the next conservative administration. Go learn more and sign up today at www.project2025.org. That's pretty easy to remember, Project 2020. While you do that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more of this conversation right after these messages. Welcome back, America. As you have heard at this point in the show, rooting out the administrative state is going to take some time. That's why the Heritage Foundation began this presidential transition project back in April 2023. And just like any great idea or organization that comes about, the foundation has been met with resistance since the very beginning. Signs are showing up even in New York saying they'd like to try to stop this project before it even gets off the ground. Headlines published by the mainstream media organizations or aggressive attacks from the very bureaucrats in the federal government. Are are all targeting project 2025 staff right now but the opposition may be growing so is the determination to get this project uh to its completion which is to make a more responsive government for the american people joining us now is the former acting assistant attorney general of the u.s justice department and an ally of the project 25 uh 2025 katie sullivan katie great to have you on the show
1: thank you so much john i am so happy to be here i love this project
0: It is such an important project. I think a lot of people have looked at the government the last decade and say, boy, it doesn't feel responsive to us anymore. It seems like they have their thumb on the scale of politics rather than their hand on the stick of the agency's mission. How do we change that mentality from the inside out?
1: Well, I think it's such a great question and and could probably have a show on its own. I think that uh, one of the things that you have to do is remember that there's three branches of government, not four. I know that in leading a couple of the offices at the Department of Justice, I would always remind staff as soon as I came in, "We're here to implement the rule of law. That is what Congress does, and you know what Congress directs us to do. And then we take the executive, um, uh, the uh, direction from the president, in order to implement his or his priorities. And that is." All we're here to do, we're not here to provide necessarily guidance, legal rulings, all those things have processes within the three branches of government. So an overall reminder of that and then adhering to that is it theoretically the way you do this. But as you know, John, there's a lot of practicalities to actually implementing what I just said.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt there'll be. And there'll be a lot of resistance, too. I think the, uh, the first Trump administration ran into a lot of resistance. The president and his uh, appointees have a plan. And then the people down below simply don't want to carry it out. What sort of resistance will uh, Project 2025 ambitious agenda perhaps meet in some of these agencies?
1: I think, first of all, it's it really starts on day one and the clearance process So one way um, in which the federal government can work is to slow roll, if you will, clearances to get people in, uh, just to start to get political appointees in. And so when there's not a political appointee in, then a federal employee is typically named as the acting of a certain office. And so it's very difficult to implement change there. Um, The second, I would say, the next thing that happens is how much you don't know so I'm one of those people that came from the middle of the country, believing very much in President Trump's agenda, seeing you know, what I believe to be America taking a seriously wrong turn over uh, the previous decade. And so walking in and figuring out, where does everything stand? How do you speak this language? In some ways, the federal government uh, is like learn- learning a foreign language.
3: You have to...
1: <laughs> Quickly get up to speed with that and then make sure that you know every executive order, every new reg, every guidance document that they're recommending, look at it with your own eyes and think about is this meeting the priority of the president or not? Because there's two resistances really. There's the overt resistance that I think is talked about a lot in great shows like yours. And then there's an omission of just not acting. So if an executive order is released and agencies just don't implement the what's in the executive order then what happens
3: yeah
0: that's and- fu- That follow-up becomes so important because you're right, it's the subtle ways that the bureaucracy can resist that becomes often its most effective form of resistance. Now, there's something unique here. Heritage has begun this project really early. So we've got a running start, which is unlike any other administration in the history of uh, at least modern history. And then secondly, there is this Presidential Administration Academy Certificate Program. Uh, Talk about the importance of getting all that momentum going way before even the election starts.
1: I think a couple of things, and that is that it shouldn't come as a surprise at all to the Biden administration or anyone else that transition is being thought of, what, three years before a presidential election. This is not rare. I mean, look at the transition integrity project that was Biden's own project and really talked about you know, every inevitability, if he won, if he lost, if he, you know, different ways that they would take control of government, I would highly recommend you go look that up, the Transition Integrity Project with uh, President Biden. So this is just a way, I think, to coalesce all of the energy of the conservative movement, of all of the kind of America first ideas, and get a cohesive policy book to begin with. Um, But then to allow people like me from the middle of the country who can, uh, you know, get caught up to speed. This is what you're facing. This is what will be expected in order to have a better chance at getting one of these very few jobs. I don't know if people really know that the president really only has about 4000 hires at his or her disposal. Yeah. And so it's not a lot, and you wanna be able to separate yourself if you have a passion, like I did, to come in and try to help turn this country back to in the right direction.
0: And that's really a very important part of this is getting people enlisted now who say, I'm willing to step into the void. I want to go in and do this. Um, uh, and one way to get uh, the government closer to the people is to get it closer to everyday people. How important is it if someone's watching today to say, you know what, I want to jump in, sign up today, get in, the, get in line now, get the training. That's a very important part of this project, isn't it?
1: I would say yes. I mean, absolutely. It can only help because there, it's such a cohesive training project. And here's the thing. It is great to talk about, you know, the policies and this and that. There's the nuts and bolts. And I leaned in with the nuts and bolts in the training project and turning like this is how you time manage when you're in one of these positions. You know, they often say one year of a political appointment is like five years in regular work time because you are just there is so much pressure and you are working so hard in order to implement everything that you are there and you believe in. And so this is the nuts and bolts of how to actually do that. So it may absolutely put you ahead of the pack when our presidential candidate is chosen and they start their transition project in earnest.
0: Yeah, such an important thing. Katie, uh, having been on the inside, what was the biggest learning lesson you had when you got into a uh, uh, position of power in government? What, did it, uh, what were the biggest surprises and learnings that you took from it?
1: Number one, the biggest surprise and almost disappointment is the entire federal government is actually just about doling out money. And as a fiscal conservative, I, I don't think I ever connected those dots, John, the way that, you know, maybe yeah. I did sitting there thinking about budgets. But that's what these hundreds of thousands, millions of employees are actually doing in Washington, D.C. So I quickly learned the grant making uh, uh you know the grant making world, right? Because that's how culture has changed. It's the carrot and the stick. I learned, um, I learned that this omission, this idea of omission, that I already talked about, and then the third thing I learned is what I also alluded to, which is, it really, our federal employees talk in a foreign language. It is acronym-based. I didn't understand what the staff was saying in large part for the first two or three days. And then I just said, no more acronyms. <laughs> Use the entire name of things um, because I needed to understand it. But, you know, you how can we be serving the American people when we don't even speak the language that they speak? That mm-hmm. means that if you want to get a grant or uh, put a comment into a regulation, You've got to be able to weed through what is really a foreign language, and that yeah. is not right. I mean, the administrative state is supposed to serve the president and help Congress. That, that That's what it was formed for. And of course, now it really operates as a fourth branch of government, yeah. and it has to stop.
0: Untangling that alphabet soup will be one of the great challenges of Project 25, but also one of the great opportunities. Katie, I know a lot of people in America are excited at the thought that you might be back in government one day. Thank you so much for joining us today. What a great discussion. We sure appreciate your insights. All right, folks, on that note, we conclude yet another successful special report with great thanks to our sponsoring partner, the Heritage Foundation. Remember, by visiting Project2025.org, Project2025.org, you can learn more or get yourself involved in the presidential transition project. With this initiative and throughout your partnership, the foundation will be able to change the way our federal agencies are run while simultaneously building up upon the four pillars that we've talked about here tonight. You've heard about those from our guests throughout the course of the last hour, and I want to remind you that the only way for real positive change to take place ahead of the enactment of the presidential transition project is for you to get to the polls and cast your ballot next November. That's how it starts. Keep that in mind, folks. Have a great night. God bless you. And thanks for joining us.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running.